0: First of all, I wanted to say that the Lord is marvelous. He works in very mysterious ways. Um, when I first saw the email on that Brother Newell sent out about he was looking for volunteers, I said, sure, no problem. Um, uh, there were some more things on Psalm 51 I didn't get to say. No problem. I got that outline almost prepared. I'll just do that. Well, I didn't save that outline on my computer. I looked diligently on uh, my computer for that outline. Wasn't there. I said, ah, that's not too bad. I can redo that outline. I pretty much knew what I wanted to say. So I started redoing the outline and in looking up one of the references that I wanted to, uh, use, I looked up the wrong verse. But that verse led me to another outline that was missing. And then in the process of finding that outline, not finding that outline, I found something else that the Lord really latched on to me to present to you today. And it's very fitting. We've been talking about death and passing on and going on to the next world. And we've had Bruce and Marie and now Walter that have, have passed on to the Lord. And I want to talk to you a little bit about our attitudes, our feelings about this life and moving on to the next. Brother Newell set it up very good, and Amazing Grace did as well, by the fact that you should prepare, be preparing now. You should have these attitudes and feelings now that I'm going to bring forth to you. I'm thankful also, too, that we have men. We have a hymnal, that we have men that have penned down their words for us to think about, to examine, to sing, to use, to praise the Lord with in their experiences in various things. Um, and I want to go and bring one of those men before you today. Uh, his name was Henry F. Leyte. He was a preacher. He was a saint of God. And he penned the hymn that we have in our hymnals called Abide With Me. If some of you know me, that is one of my favorite hymns. He penned these words after his last sermon to his congregation him knowing that he was dying of tuberculosis. And he died about three weeks after penning this hymn. And I want to go through that hymn. I want you to think about this is, are these your thoughts? Are these your feelings? Do you want these to be your feelings and thoughts when your hour approaches? And how can I cultivate those feelings and thoughts now? So that when my hour comes, these are my natural thoughts. These are my natural feelings approaching that great divide that we call death. If you want to follow along with me, uh, the um, hymn is number 387 in our Burgundies. Um, we only have four verses out of, I think it's eight. Eight. And some of the verses that we don't have in our hymn, though, are also very good, which I'm going to go over with you. But, like I said, I want you to think about these words. This is another person that was facing death, another saint. And can we be like that, and do we want to be like that, that we can say from our hearts these words? Yeah. It starts off, Abide with me fast falls the even tide. Darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. He was realizing just like a day. When you know about four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, you know the day is almost over. The night's coming, and that night's going to be dark. And we, some of us fear the dark. It's something natural. We don't know. We're not as able to defend ourselves and help ourselves in the darkness. And it's coming. He knew that about that. And it gets deep. It deepens. But while the the darkness or the night gets darker and darker and deeper and deeper, until finally, in death, we see nothing at all. His confidence and his hope was, Lord, abide with me. That was his confidence. That was his hope. That was his wish. That was his desire to have the Lord abiding with him. Later on in the hymn, there's another verse that we don't have in our hymnals. And that phrase says, Come not to sojourn, but abide with me. He wanted a long-term, intimate relationship. Not a part-time relationship. Not a fleeting relationship. He When when you abide with somebody, when you live with somebody, it's personal. It's long-term, like we abide with our wives. And he wanted that with the Lord. And he didn't want just a partial sojourn with the Lord. The next verse that we have in our hymnal is, When other helpers fail and comforts flee. We know with Bruce, we saw with Bruce and Marie that they had lots of helpers. They had family and friends, but those helpers couldn't do much for them. They could not, the doctors could not help. The family could not help. Drugs couldn't help. Nothing could help and stop that death. And they failed. Those helpers failed as best and as much as they wanted to. They failed, but the Lord never fails. Amen. And that's what he was looking for, his confidence and his help to be from the Lord. It says in that final stanza, help of the helpless. How much more helpless can you be than lying on your back in some fleeting stage of consciousness? How much more helpless can you be than that? But his confidence, his hope, his joy, his expectations were in the Lord to be with him. Help of the helpless. It also says in that first stanza that uh, when other helpers fail and comforts flee. We have many creature comforts in this world. But when you're dying, when you're near death, those creature comforts flee away. It doesn't matter how big a house you had, how big a car you had, what kind of position you had. You could be the president of the United States, but what good is that going to do for you in those last days, minutes, and hours? They all flee away. And we should have that attitude now that those things in life are not our comfort. They are not our hope. They are not our trust that the Lord is. And that's what this man, this saint of God, is trying to express in this hymn of his. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. And that's what it is. As the tide changes twice a day, our lives change very quickly. Right and it's flowing out every minute of every day that tide is going out until we're at low tide, At we're at death. And it's a little day. It's not a long day. It's not a week. It's not a month. It's like a day. As somebody mentioned this morning, uh, Zach mentioned in his prayer, it's a vapor. It's grass. Grass doesn't last but a season. It's nothing. And... We have to keep that in our minds that life is but a little day. David told us that in the Psalms, talking about a vapor and grass and 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 grass. Earth joys grow dim and its glories pass away. I find that whatever joys there are in this life, they're growing dim. They don't excite me like they used to. The older I get, and that's the experience of many. Paul had the same conversation with me, that they're dim, they're passing away. And we should keep that in mind that they are going to pass away. It's not going to matter who won the World Series last year, who's playing in the World Series this year. You know, Jonathan calls them soap bubbles. Mm -hmm. They're vain glory of this world. And when you get to your deathbed, they will probably be for you as well. But we need to prepare for that, to think about that, to not clutch too tightly to the, to the vain glories and pleasures of this world. Amen. Change and decay, boy, we all, anybody over 40, 50, they know that, change, decay, sore muscles, things don't work as the way they used to, you can't see as well, can't hear as well, and that's our state. Change and decay in all around I see. But, O oh thou that changes not, abide with me. God doesn't change. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weak. And that's where your faith, hope, confidence, love, and trust should be. And that God that changes not. We change, but he does not. A verse that we don't sing that is very good in this hymn, that describes the ch- Christian life. I'll read it slowly. Thou on my head, in early youth, did smile. He was converted early. And though rebellious and perverse, meanwhile, meaning he always wasn't didn't live a saintly life, thou hast not left me Off, as I have left thee. Onto the close, Lord abide with me. He was converted early. He sinned. We all sinned. He left the Lord, as we often do, but the Lord never never left him. But on the close, onto the close, even though all this had happened in his life, He still wanted, needed, and trusted in the Lord to abide with him. I need thy presence every passing hour. And the Taylor family knows how many passing hours, the Crosby family knows how many passing hours there were with Bruce. And they passed, and they passed, and they they didn't know from hour to hour, you know, how long Bruce would be around, how long Marie would be around. It's like an hourglass. I wish I had one to bring up here and, give and show up to you today. That sand just constantly running out, running out all the time, passing. You can't stop it. And when the, when it finally, when that last grain drops through, that's it. This life is over. It passes on. Through clouds and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. He had good times in his life. We all have good times in life. We have clouds in our lives. We have bad times in our life. But through sun and clouds, we want, we should, we need the Lord to abide with us. Paul said in Philippians 4, Whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. And why was he content? Because he had the Lord. He had great confidence in the Lord. He had support from the Lord. His prayers were answered by the Lord. And that's where our focus should be. Be content in the Lord, trusting and wanting him to abide with us every hour. Here's another verse we do not have in our hymnals. It says, "Ills have no weight, and tears no bitterness.'" Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. All these things tears, bitterness, death, the grave they have no victory. And he will triumph if the Lord is his portion, if the Lord is with him. And how can he say that? Because his Lord was with him, his life. He practiced all these thoughts. These thoughts don't come up at the last minute when you're thinking about death. These thoughts should be with you. They should be part of you all of the time. And the last verse. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven morning breaks and earth veins shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. This world is gloomy. We should be looking for that shining day when we are with the Lord. We should not have our vision horizontal, but upward. Lord, point me to the skies. Point me to where you are, where heaven is, my home is, and point me that way. And that's what Walter and Bruce and Marie When they closed their eyes, morning broke, and they broke in heaven. They woke up in heaven, and when they're there, surely earth's vain shadows (laughs) fled away. Everything of this life fled away when they were in the presence of the Lord, and that which what should be we want to be looking for in life, in death, our portion is the Lord's. Psalms. One sixteen, fifteen says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Amen. And with attitude like this, with feeling like this, with words like this, and with a life like this, it can be and should be and will be a precious thing for one of his saints to come home.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Burgundy Hymnals, 387. Let's sing the first and the last verses. 387.
2: Hosea 4. I'm honored to be up here to have this opportunity. I feel unworthy to do this, but I'm thankful that um, I can hopefully bring some praise to the Lord and cause us to consider some aspects of Scripture about keeping in remembrance the things of the Lord. Hosea 4, uh, verse 6. We're going to be looking specifically at the last. Clause of the verse, but Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. There's a saying, out, out of sight, out of mind. We forget things we don't see and that we are not constantly reminded about and there are many many things we forget daily and there are many things we remember daily we think about going to school our academics and how easily do we forget those things which we have been taught which we have learned we think about a sermon um can we remember all the points of that sermon the scriptures that were used what about when someone gives us gives us directions can we remember directions, memorizing scripture, people's names, mm-hmm. birthdays, anniversaries? We forget. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing to, to think about the things we remember, such as people's sins, negative things about others, our past sins, entertainment, music lyrics, some odd statistic, or things that are said in jest, the list goes on. Things that we remember very easily that are of no profit. Right. But those things that are the most important we forget very easily. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yeah. Who can know it? Yeah. Naturally, we want to remember negative things, and especially about others, and the things that please us we remember. But those which are most important we forget the easiest. Psalm 9, 9, verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Our nation is forgetting God. We see the downward trend from what it once was. Hebrews 2, verses 1-4. through Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken of by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing the witness, both the signs and wonders, and was diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. We think of Romans 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God... In their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which, which are not convenient. Right. In studying for this, I came across a verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, verse 32. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Right. Right. Our most obvious example is the children of Israel forgetting the Lord. Yep. And we don't want to be like them. And we don't think we will be, but it's in the small things that we forget the Lord, we forget the things of the Lord, we commit spiritually adu- spiritual adultery. Our pastor gets up here continually reminds us Sunday after Sunday of our duties to the Lord. And oftentimes we can uh, get tired of hearing the same things, but he's doing it for a reason.
1: Right, amen.
2: There are some things uh, that we should remember There are many things we should remember. I want to highlight just a few of them real quickly. Psalms 111 verse 4 says, He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. We want to remember his works, his works in our lives. I can think of the Lord's work in my life a year and a half ago to two years now. And the changes he's made in me, I want to remember those things. I want to keep them fresh in my memory. I want to give praise to the Lord by those things. I do not want to forget what he has done. Our brothers get up here continually and give thanks to the Lord, and they remember and cause us to remember the things that the Lord has done for them, and we can rejoice with them. Amen. We want to remember preaching. First Corinthians fifteen two says, "By which ye are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." Our practical salvation here on earth is dependent on our remembering and calling to mind those things which have been preached to us. Right. Ecclesiastes twelve verse one: Solomon tells a youth what they should remember. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Right. We think of communion. That here at, at this church, we celebrate once a month on average. And in First Corinthians, it says... Um, first Corinthians 11 and when he had given thanks he brake it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do it in remembrance of me right. after the same manner he took also the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the new testament in my blood this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me in second peter chapter 1 verses 12 13 and 14 says wherefore i will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. That's what our pastor does for us. He stirs us up. We should be thankful for that. I am thankful for that because I forget easily. I forget often. I shouldn't. Knowing that shortly I must put off this, this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, there's been some saints recently that have put off their earthly tabernacles. And it and it causes us to remember that uh death is coming. Do we dislike the repetition that we of former things we've already been been told and been taught by our pastor? Well, he is, he's been given a charge. In first Timothy four, verse six it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereinto thou hast attained. Repetition is one of the keys to learning. Is this not true for us? When we memorize Scripture, we just got done with the, the quizzing uh, some of the youth in this church. And in order to memorize those verses, you have to go over them time and time again and keep them in remembrance so you don't forget them. What are several things that we can remember that would help us? And how do they help us? We think of God's mercies in times past. Remembering these mercies causes us to be thankful. We think of God's provision, His provision in the past, and it helps us not to be prideful because we have not attained anything of our own except without the Lord's help. We think of the Lord's help in past times of fear, when we are afraid now, what do, we, what do we call to remembrance to help with the fear that we have? We think of God's love in his, in his sending the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Amen. When we have brothers or sisters that have maybe offended us or hurt us, we think of the love and the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, calling these things to remembrance. There's two primary ways that we remember and how we help each other. Our pastor does the the large majority of the work in teaching us. In uh, Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them, thy sons, and to thy sons' sons, fathers, I'm not a father yet, but you should be teaching your children.
1: Right.
2: That's right. That's right. Titus 2.6 says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. As youth, we can be reminding each other to be, to be sober, from the, from the young men to the other young men, yes. to be That's sober-minded. Right. That's something Solomon was very aware of that um, young men were, were prone to. We, we want to be sober-minded young men, so we need to be exhorting one another to that end. Um, those of us who are working to obey our masters. We need to remind each other of these things, of what the Scripture says about our practical everyday lives and how it affects us. And one way is the way we work. We need to remember and to remind each other to be good and obedient servants to our masters. We need to be reading God's Word. And you are continually reminded of things as you read that you may have forgotten. We have a a website full of sermons. And uh, as I drive a lot, oftentimes I enjoy listening to sermons, going over the past ones because I forget very easily. And I want to be reminded about what we've learned. I want to be having them refreshed in my mind. We need to be faithful to attend here. As this is the primary uh, location of gathering together, reminding one another of our duties to one another. And then those close friends that you have, do they build you up? Do they sharpen you? Did they remind you of your duties to one another?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We think of the Israelites, how they had Passovers, they had Sabbaths, they had a blue fringe around the borders of the garments to remind them of God's holiness. Will we memorize, listen to sermons, and be faithful to attend, be active with our brethren to remind one another? And I just want to go over one specific aspect that we, I have been reminded of recently and I have delighted in recently, I want to share that with you. It's in Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 14, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 14. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Amen. What about the sins? What about the sins we've, which we have committed, our transgressions? What has the Lord done with those? Does He still remember those? I turn to Isaiah. If you would turn with me to Isaiah 44. This has a unique word. That describes what the Lord has done with our sins and to our sins. Isaiah 44, verse 22, verse 21 through 23, rather. Isaiah 44, verses 21 through 23. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee, thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. I have blotted out as a thick cloud. Can we do that with our brothers? In the small, petty ways in which they might offend us. The Lord has blotted out our sins and our transgressions as a thick cloud. <coughs> Hebrews ten seventeen says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Right. Isaiah 43 Verses 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. We need to have the right inputs to to remind ourselves of our duties to the Lord and what he has done for us. We need to be reminding each other about our duties to one another and to the Lord. I think of Psalms uh, 103, verse 2, in closing says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. And there's a song, I couldn't find it, and, and remembering the words to it, I believe the, the chorus goes something like this. Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. We never want to forget anything that the Lord has done for us. Amen. Let's have the right inputs into our lives in one another, in sermons, and in memorizing Scripture and laying it in our heart to be constantly reminded of what the Lord has done for us.
4: Yes. I just want to say, excellent job, Colin and Charlie. Amen. I've always enjoyed Abide With Me as well, but have a new appreciation for it today. It was an excellent job. <laughs> I want to speak briefly um, today about forgiveness, another duty that we have towards one another. Colin briefly touched on a uh, few of the verses here um, that I had as well. You know, there's things we should remember, but there's also in forgiveness we should know how to forget as well. Ephesians 4.32 Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. My mom had me memorize that verse very young and remember it today. It's an attitude that we should have. Um, Yesterday, I was working with one of my brothers, and he brought up the word blameless and what it means to be blameless and what happens and how the Lord forgives us. Um, Two situations that we talked about were Peter denying the Lord Three times with oaths and cursings in Matthew 26, and then David sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. Um, then David even signed his own death warrant when Nathan came to him with a parable. Right. Um, and Peter and David were both to blame at that time for their sins before they repented, but and asked God for forgiveness. But God forgave them both fully and completely. Some questions of the day to think about. How well do we forgive others? How quickly do we forgive when someone does us wrong? Consider how quickly David said in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And then the Lord quickly answers back, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Can you pray for God to forgive you your sins as you forgive others their sins? Right. Do you want revenge when someone does you wrong? Do we say as the world does, payback's always worse? First Peter two, twenty one through twenty-three says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously.
1: Amen.
4: It's a glory to pass over a transgression.
1: Yes.
4: Proverbs 19.11, discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Mm -hmm. It should be easy for us to forgive, and we should forgive quickly. If we don't forgive others, Matthew 6.15 says, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, and then in Matthew 18, 30, 35 Then the Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me, shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Since all men are sinners, including church members, there will be many personal offenses against us that we should forgive freely right. and fully in Christ. Luke seventeen three and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If thy, brother, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times a day... And seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. If we've been forgiven 10,000 talents, how can we fault someone else for 100 pence?
1: If
4: we're not quick to forgive, we can can sin by letting the sun go down on a wrath, and we can also be at risk for a root of bitterness to start. Ephesians 4.26, be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up in you trouble you, and thereby, thereby many be defiled. It's by repentance and confession we obtain or restore fellowship with God, our Father, and it should be by the same in which we restore fellowship with each other when there's a wrong between two parties. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Right,
1: right.
4: Colin just read the Isaiah 44.22 passage about blotting out our sins. It's a great reminder as well, not only just to forgive, but to forget those things. Right, right. True forgiveness includes forgetting the trespass completely, not having a Little black book of remembrance to pull out when you need it for leverage against them. Right. Psalm one hundred three twelve. As far as from the east, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Amen. I heard a pastor say one time, the Lord hath buried our sins in the deepest sea, and He put a no-fishing sign above it. <laughs> we shouldn't be able to pull them back up. Are we able to forgive that completely and not remember?
1: Right.
4: The Lord's been merciful to us. He's forgiven us much. He'll abundantly pardon, as it says in Isaiah 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In closing, Ephesians 4.32 again. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you.
5: Amen. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 28. I'd like to take a few minutes this morning and talk, talk to you about doing things God's way. Now that seems like a simple concept. I mean, the Creator of heaven and earth and all that therein is has given us a model, has given us a pattern that we're supposed to follow. And common sense dictate that we would follow that. But as we all very well and painfully know, too often that is not the case. I've been very convicted about this since leaving Nashville last week, and I briefly mentioned that a little bit to y'all Sunday um, about both my brother and sister's lives was falling apart around them right now. Why? Well, I'm not going to take time to give all the gory details, but it's really pretty simple. They are not doing things God's way. They're doing things their way. It's really just that simple. And as I drove home last Saturday, I took the better part of the five-and-a-half-hour drive home reflecting on the difference in my life right now and my siblings' lives. Um, they're miserable. They're without hope. You know, And I'm filled with joy, happiness, contentment, peace, and hope. You know? I was also reminded that it was approximately seven years ago that I took that same drive from Nashville to Greenville, and the circumstances were quite different. Right. It was my life that was crumbling. You know, it was me that was miserable beyond words. And I can't even describe it. As many of y'all, unfortunately, saw it. You know, and I was making that drive not because I wanted to, but because I didn't have anywhere else to go. You know, I was dying, literally and figuratively. So what's the difference in me now than seven years ago? What's the difference in me now and my siblings today? Well, once again, it's quite simple. Seven years ago, like my brother and sister today, I wasn't doing things God's way. I was doing doing things my way. But now, I'm doing things God's way. Mostly. I'm not perfect, we all know that, but generally speaking... Right. Following things, and what a difference yes, what a agree. difference now i 'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning giving a bunch of details about how to have a good marriage, a good family, career, etc. Our pastor does that adequately to say the least, and we know that he 'll continue to do that yeah. so what i 'd like to do this morning this afternoon is to exhort us to simply as Nike says to just do it right once again, it really is that simple. It really is. But because we have still have the world, our old man, and the devil to contend with, it's not always that easy. However, I am assuming that everyone in this room is a born-again child of God's with a new man who is capable of hearing and obeying God's Word. So what does God's Word say? Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to read, Three verses out of Deuteronomy 28, and then I'm going to have you turn to Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to read one verse there. But Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. And this shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. God had given Moses the commandments. Moses had given them to the people. And now he's saying, look, if you do these commandments, he spends the next uh, 12 or so verses saying, this is the blessings that's going to come upon you. And then we get to verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So now Moses proceeds to give about 450 verses to the, of the cursings that's going to come upon Israel if they do not follow the commandments of God.
6: Right.
5: So then he takes verse, he takes, turn to, Deut- turn to Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. He takes the rest of 29, he takes 29 and most of 30, and he rehashes some of that stuff. And he covers some new, uh, a few new things, and then he concludes it with verse 19 of chapter 30, which I hope I'm tempted to ask some of the youth to stand up and quote it, because this verse was the theme for our last youth retreat. And this was the theme. I think most of you all probably know that. But Moses is summing the whole thing up right here. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have sat before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. So Moses has, has drawn this up pretty good, it's pretty clear. He said, I've said all this, and this is the conclusion of the matter, if you will, on this particular topic. So this morning, this afternoon, I set before you life right here. The commandments and the words of God. I set before you life and death, which is your way, which is my way, which is the world's way. I exhort you, as Moses did this morning, to choose life. God's word covers every single area of our life. Everything. Your marriage, children, job, finances, friends, how to respond to government, how a church should function, etc., etc., it's endless. He's given us commandments that cover each of these subjects that I just named and many more. He has told us what to do, what not to do, and the results based on our choices. 1 right. Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Amen. Galatians 6.7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I want to exhort you this afternoon to be not deceived. God's way is the only way. Amen. Amen. You think you can hang out with the wrong friends and not be corrupted? You're deceived.
3: Right.
5: You have chose death. And I don't care if you're 10 or 70 or somewhere in between. Wives who aren't submissive and, they ha- and, and think they have an equal say with their husbands, you are deceived. Amen. You have chose death. Husbands who do not lead their wives and love them right. like Christ loves the church, you are deceived. Amen. You have chose death. Right. Fathers who think they don't have to spank their children because they have a better way to deal with them and to discipline, to discipline them, you are you are deceived. You have chose death. Fathers who provoke their children to wrath and do not bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, after all, it's the best pastor and the mother will handle that, right? Wrong. God's word says, Fathers. You are deceived. You have chose death. You, you know, just Deuteronomy 30, 19. The end of it says, Choose life that both thou and thy seed, both thou and thy seed may live.
1: Right.
5: Does your sins affect other people in your life? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Especially if you're a father. And right. do you think you can choose a spouse, as our pastor covered very thoroughly last Sunday, outside of God's ordained order? Well, then you're Samson. You are deceived. And you're going to find yourself pinned up, tied up to two pillars with your eyes poked out. You're deceived. You have chose death. You think you can spend money beyond your means and get away with it? You're deceived. You have chose death. Amen. Now, as we all know, I could go on and on and on with this, but I think the point has been made. Psalms 19 tells us, That the statutes and commandments of the Lord are to serve as a warning for His servants, and He also it also tells us that in keeping them is great reward. In other words, in keeping them is life and blessings. I watch my family falling apart a little right now because they will not heed God's warnings. We're all watching our nation fall apart as it strays farther and farther from God's commandments and God's ways. We've seen individual families, unfortunately, both inside and outside of this church, fall apart at times because they strayed from God's word and thought they had better ideas or for some reason thought that they were immune to it and it wouldn't happen to them. We've seen it. But we've also seen many individuals and families in this church... And outside of it, greatly rewarded for keeping God's commandments. Whether it was their, with their children, their spouses, their jobs, their finances, or all of the above. We've seen both sides of it. I ask you this afternoon, where do you fall? Which one are you? I encourage every person here to examine themselves, as I have had to do painfully myself in many of these areas and see where you may be straying from God's Word. You know, it doesn't take much. And it usually is just a little thing that starts it. I mean, I seriously doubt that David woke up one morning and said, Hey, you know what? I think today I'm going to go sleep with another man's wife. That sounds like a good idea. I seriously doubt that that's how it happened. In fact, I don't doubt. I know it's not how it happened. You know, we don't know exactly what was going on in David's heart. Or I don't know. I haven't been able to find what was exactly what was going on with David leading up to that. But we do know a couple of things. We know he was not where he was supposed to be. And we know that he was looking at something that he shouldn't have been looking at. What he should have done, he should have done what Joseph did. And ran like a scared girl to the battle. That's what he should have done. But instead, he was deceived. And then the next thing you know, he was having an affair. Killing one of his most trusted servants, one of his mighty men. Suffering through the death of his newborn child. And watching his family thrown into chaos. <coughs> Why? Because he strayed from God's commandments. Right. Right. David was deceived in that particular area on that particular day. So I, I warn you, I warn myself, be not deceived. If David could be deceived, then you and I most certainly can be. 1 right. right. John three, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments... And His commandments are not grievous. In fact, they're beneficial. They're a blessing. They're life. You know, I've tried both sides of the fence. And I've tried straddling the fence. And one thing I can tell you for sure, God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. But not, not keeping them is very grievous. And brings death and cursing. The Bible says it, and that's really all we need. But there's many of us in here from personal experience that can attest to it. You can turn to, if you will, just turn to Psalms 119, the first, the first verse. I'll get to that in just a minute. But I'm going to close with this. You know, there's nothing you can do about yesterday. All you can do about yesterday is repent. Amen. And I can tell you based on the authority of God's Word that He is very merciful and long-suffering Lamentations 3.22 and 23 tells us, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Psalms 103.10 tells us, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I can tell you that in my life, the Lord has most certainly been Merciful. And I know he's done the same for many of you based on the testimonies that I've heard. And he has most certainly not rewarded me according to my iniquities. And, in mo- and in so many ways, he has restored the years that the canker worm had eaten. Make no mistake about it. I still suffer, as some of you still do, from past sins, from present sins. But not, any near, not anywhere near what I deserve.
1: Right.
5: So anyway, all of that was to say all you can do about yesterday is repent and trust in the Lord's abundant mercies. Amen. But you can do a lot about today. Amen. And if the Lord gives you tomorrow, you can do a lot about that. And if He gives you another day and another day, you can do something about each of those days. Right. I told you all to turn to Psalm one nineteen and I didn't do it. Psalm 119, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they to keep his testimonies and seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquities. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. i tell you this morning on the authority of God's word that blessed is the man that keeps his testimonies and precepts diligently. And I exhort you to pray like David did. That your ways, that my ways, would be directed to keep your statues. I remind you that it is never too late. No matter what you have done, if there's conviction, if you see these things in your life, make changes. I sat before you this afternoon. Life, right here is life and everything that's contained in it. And death. You your ways. That's my ways. I said before you this afternoon, bless the commandments of God and cursing. I exhort each of us this morning to choose life.
1: Right. Amen. 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 Hymn
6: number 26 in our Burgundy Hymnals. Right.
7: Very quickly, I want to uh, give you a, just a reminder from an outline. Actually, in April, I gave you a little bit of this outline, and uh, I got a very good response from the brethren, so I wanted to give you a little bit more. I want to remind you again, and I'll give you a very brief rundown of what it was uh, for those who were not here or who might not remember, on the sermon on forgotten sins. Eight sermons preached in 2002. 65 forgotten sins listed from the Bible, and five forgotten virtues. And uh, some quick some quick examples of words that you might not normally think of, that you might not have realized were in the Bible. Answering again, backbiting, banquetings, chambering, gainsaying, heady, reveling, self-will, surfeiting, tumult, and variance. And the last time I did this, I had emulation, evil surmising, and self-love. All these are biblical words that you may not have thought of, but they are sinful. And in our generation, there is a clear path marked, life and death. And our generation is trying really hard to pull the road signs out so people choose the roadway to death. They're removing those markers so people follow the wrong path. In fact, in many cases, they don't just pull those markers out. They paint them over and say, this is the road to life. They say, this is what's good. This is what's acceptable. This is what we think is great. That's what the world says about these sins. I'm going to give you very rapidly three forgotten sins and one forgotten virtue. First, turn to Romans chapter 131. I'm going to show you each of where these are found in Scripture so you don't think I'm just making words up. Because, again, many of these words you don't use in, common, in your common speaking. But these are in the Bible. They're listed in groups of sins. Romans chapter 1, verse 31. Now, again, this is actually in the middle of a list of sins. But just so we can get this group here. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and unmerciful. The word is implacable. The definition of that is cannot be appeased, irreconcilable, inexorable of persons or feelings. Someone that just chooses not to be pleased—they cannot be satisfied. This, God hates, right. and honestly, man should hate it too. But in our generation, it's something that at times is considered great. Another uh, other words that would be found also in this list would be froward, having a grudge or being odious. What would cause you to never be pleased? Would cause you to not accept anything brought to you. To not accept people around you. To not accept things done towards you. It's your own pride. It's your own selfishness. Again, I'm, I'm going to do this as quickly as I can here. And then actually, I, I tried to find a, a scripture verse or a principle to apply in response to each of these. And the best place I'd tell you to look would be Second Samuel 22, 26. 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 26. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. Being implacable is being unmerciful. Let's just give you the benefit of the doubt and say that somebody wronged you, and you just don't want to forgive. Well, the answer is be merciful. God shows mercy to those who show mercy back. So, brethren, already we have a word that we don't use very often, a word that's forgotten, but we cannot forget. We must be merciful. We must be satisfied with things and the people around us. Implacable, Implacability is sinful before God. Moving on, we have the sin of necromancy. Now, this would be found in Deuteronomy 18. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 18 because, again, I want you to see it's there. It's not a word that I expect you to use. Deuteronomy 18. And to give you the full context, it's verses 10 through 12. It's a listing of sins that all fit together. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Necromancy, revealing future events, etc., by communication with the dead, more generally magic, enchantment, conjuration, and again, uh, the other two other words that would be in this list of forgotten sins is prognostication and witchcraft. Again, It's a, not a biblical word you expect to hear very much. But think about our generation. How much work does the devil have to do when our generation is obsessed with the supernatural, with the occult, with trying to find the future, whether it be by horoscopes or palm readers or something like that? What we have here is a blatant, obvious sin of people seeking information on the future, not from God. But from another source, specifically seeking it from the dead. That's what necromancy is about. It's communication with the dead. We see it used in scripture at least once when we see the rich witch of Endor, um, Saul consorting with her. But brethren, it's something that our society loves. All you have to do is look around and you'll see people who advertise it, who favor it, who speak about it, who think about it as a great thing. It's something that's prevalent. We have to make a stand, first of all, not having it in our lives, nothing close to it. Don't get anywhere close to things of magic, of supernatural powers that have nothing to do with God. It it may seem small to you, but we make a stand first in our own lives, and then as we have a chance, we make a stand in our world around us. Why seek the dead when we have the eternal living God who's told us everything that we need to know
3: right,
7: right here. Right. Everything we need to know. We, you want to know the future? This world burns and God wins. It's right here. What else do you need? Why would you ever seek to the dead for that? The next forgotten sin is a very prevalent one. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, especially in our nation and in our generation. Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21 are a list of the works of the flesh. The passage says they're manifest, but in our generation, they're manifest in a very hidden way because these things are loved by the world. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, Seditions, heresies, and I'll I'll stop there. Sedition, welcome to America. (laughs) A concerted movement to overthrow an established government, a revolt, rebellion, mutiny, conduct or language inciting rebellion against the authority of the state. It's so hardwired into us as Americans that we have the right to argue. We have the duty to question authority to stand up for our rights and to do what we think is best because we're the people and the nation responds to us. Let me tell you, God's word doesn't say anything like that. God's word says the king is beholden to him and the people are beholden to the king. Not the other way around. And God says quite plainly that if the king rules unjustly, that he judges, not that the people judge. Sedition is loved by our society. But God calls it, where is it? It is in a list here with idolatry and witchcraft. Um, It's in a list with adultery and fornication, lasciviousness. It's in here with a bunch of other things that are plainly evil to us. And yet, do we have any part in it? Do we tolerate sedition around us? Sedition is not open rebellion. It's talking about open rebellion. It's inciting rebellion. Do we put up with people around us telling us, well, the government's just so bad and you know we should protest against the government and we should argue against the government. Do we put up with that? It better not be in our hearts and we better not put up with it around us. God hates sedition. He is the source of authority. Our response to this is quite plain. Romans 13. Give honor to whom honor is due. God's response to sedition is obedience, submission, and honor. And now finally I have our forgotten virtue. Turn to first Peter five and verse eight. First Peter chapter five and verse eight. And it's the first statement in this be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Sobriety. Do not be confused as so many people are today. This is nothing to do whatsoever with consumption of alcohol, or any other mood or mind-altering thing. Sobriety in Scripture is moderate in the indulgence of appetite, moderation in any respect, avoidance of excess or extravagance, gravity, seriousness, soundness or saneness of judgment. You'd also see gravity as another scriptural term for it. Brethren, we've heard enough today. I'd hope you listen to the rest of the brethren here. We're called to sobriety. You're called seriousness. We have a life that is a warfare. We have a life with a world that tries to lead us in the wrong direction towards death. It is a sober thing. It is a serious thing to walk with God. If you look at this verse here, why should we be sober? We have an adversary. We have the devil who is a lion walking about to defeat us. The way to defeat the devil is to be serious about what we do. Life is not a game. We're not here for our enjoyment. We're here to serve the Lord. And if we don't take that seriously, we will lose. We will lose either completely in our personal lives or we will lose in not accomplishing what we should for the Lord. Brethren, I present these things to you because, not because I think I've attained any of them, because honestly, I think I can see some place in my life where all of these have taken a little bit of a hold, where all of us have probably the same thing. Brethren, these are significant things to our walk with God. We've already had to- mentioned to us that we have a choice of death or life. Let's mark these signs in the road in our lives. Let's see these sins for what they are. Let's not ignore them. Let's not forget the things that the Lord taught us. Right.
3: Right.
7: Let's see these for what they are and let's rip them out of our lives. And Let's not allow them around us. Brethren, we have a sober walk with God ahead of us but it can be a joyful walk as we serve him properly. I hope that I have uh, encouraged you to consider the things that would otherwise be forgotten and that you would walk with God better.
1: Amen. Amen.
7: Thank you, brethren, for your preparations. Thank
1: you for providing these things for us. Let's all stand and be dismissed. Our most kind and good Father, we have seen many things this day. Lord, help us to take at least one thing home with us. Help us to wrap our hands around something that we can do better for you. Lord, we thank you for the exhortations we've heard this day. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement we receive from your word. Lord, don't forget the things that we've asked for. Don't forget our devotion, Lord, and our service to you this day. Help us, Lord. Bless us as we go forth to be able to put into effect the things that we've heard. And grant Lord that if you give us another day of life that it may be a day in which we seek for life Lord, we choose life and we serve you in it. Help us Lord to remember the things that we need to remember. Help us that we may have a proper attitude towards this life and the fact that it is fleeting quickly from us. Grant us Lord that we might be forgiving of others. And Lord, may Jesus Christ be lifted up and magnified in our lives. For it's in His blessed name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.